Today we are wrapping up a message series called More Power to You. This is the fourth week of this series, and it's a series on tapping the full potential of faith and seeing God do some great things. And a couple of you have talked to me in these last couple of weeks, and you've said that as you've been believing God for some things, and as you've been kind of taking some corresponding actions to set yourself up to be on the receiving end of what you're expecting God to do, that God has done some wonderful and marvelous things. For you see, when you live a life of faith, things begin to happen that are beyond explanation. Now, simply put, faith is thinking right and doing right. It's living in expectation, and it's following through with corresponding actions. I want to do a little review for you, particularly if you've not been here in these weeks, but kind of catch up. In week number one, you may remember this, we saw that faith begins with an attitude of expectancy. What are you expecting God to do in your life? We learned that you will go only as far in your life as your faith takes. In fact, Jesus is pretty explicit in Matthew 9.29. He said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. That was the first week. What do you expect? In week number two, we looked at having this attitude of expectancy, but combining it with some actions that are consistent with what we're asking God to do. We do this even when what we're asking for isn't easy. We do it even when there's a risk. We do it even when there's no guarantee that things will turn out the way we would like to have them turn out. Now, in week three, we talked about building a bigger faith. And I gave you a bunch of different ways that you could build a faith, all wrapped up on that verse from Romans 10, 17, where Paul says faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how you're doing on reading through the Bible in 90 days. I'm not looking forward to Monday because I'm moving into Leviticus. Genesis and Exodus was okay. Now, somebody told me they're cheating a little bit by reading it in the message. I won't mention John by name. But I did admit to somebody this morning that I've also been cheating a little bit because I found out where I can listen to it on the web where somebody reads it to me as I follow along. But see, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, all of this may seem easy, but this is not to imply that the life of faith is easy. In fact, when you decide that you are going to walk the talk, when you decide that you're going to live a life of faith, you kind of shift out of neutral. In fact, you shift out of park. In fact, some of you actually had to learn how to shift out of reverse because a life of faith is always full speed ahead. The life of faith is not the lifestyle of the timid. There are risks that are involved in living the life of faith. Today we're going to talk about the risks of living in faith. And if you're going to get serious about walking in faith, I can guarantee. Now, the reason I can guarantee is because the Bible guarantees that certain things will happen. Now, our text for today is that rather lengthy section of God's Word that Jimmy Curtis read to you a little bit before, from before, from Hebrews chapter 11. It is the so-called great faith chapter. It is sometimes called the Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith, 
because it lists a great number of people from the Old Testament whose faith made a huge difference not only in their lives, but in the lives of other people around them. Now, as I've been rereading this text, and even as Jimmy was reading it again this morning, I thought, man, I could preach on this chapter for months. I could preach on this chapter, I think, for the rest of the year, but I'm not going to. Today, we're just going to kind of hit the highlights, but I want to commend this chapter for further study to every one of you as you build your life of faith. But let's get to the guarantees. Here's the first one. If you live a life of faith, I can personally guarantee you, you will be pleasing to God. Verse 6 in our text today makes it very clear. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you don't have faith, are you going to please God? No. But if you do have faith, then the corollary must be true. Then it pleases God. But without faith, impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I want you to think about just that last little phrase in that verse. Those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those people. See, there's an attitude of expectancy in the goodness of God. God not only wants us to acknowledge his existence, to believe that there really is a God, but he also wants us to believe that he is good to people who seek him, that God blesses people, that God rewards people who seek after him. Now, most of you know that's how our relationship with God actually begins. We are saved by faith. If you grew up in the Lutheran church, I mean, you probably have heard Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 ad nauseum. But you need to hear it again. How does that go? For it is by what? Grace that you've been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. We need to hear those words over and over. See, a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God today, it comes purely through faith. It is sustained with faith. It is our faith that keeps us connected to God. It is this connection that God is seeking with human beings. God wants to, and I used this one time in a sermon, I said, do you know that God wants to have a love affair with us? I remember a young high school girl coming up to me afterwards and said, did I hear that correctly? God wants to be involved, have a love affair? And I said, yeah. She says, boy, does that change things. Well, no kidding. Imagine, you know, when you first fell in love with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, that love affair began to blossom. You wanted to spend all the time in the world with that person. You wanted to spend the rest of your life with that person. You talked to them, you called them, you wrote letters. Not today, you're texting or Twittering or emailing or Facebooking or um, practically everything but sitting face to face. But there's a love affair. And see, God wants to have that same kind of relationship with us. But let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever had a job that you could do without any personal investment in that job and still do that job well? Let me ask that again. Have you ever had a job that you could do without any personal investment in that job and still do it well? I did. 
I'm going to tell you, when Nancy and I were first married, I worked for Hughes Brothers, kind of a lumber mill. My first job was on the idiot belt. That's where they put new people, on the idiot belt. There were people who were sawing lumber into various lengths, and the little chunks that were left over landed on a conveyor belt, <coughs> came down to me, and there was a round circular metal disc, and these people, these pieces fell off. My job was to knock them off the dish into a conveyor belt where they went up and were chipped into sawdust. The idiot belt. Believe me when I tell you, I could do this without getting emotionally attached to the process. I could go through the motions. I mean, you could look at me, you couldn't tell whether I liked that job or I liked my foreman. You couldn't tell whether or not I was happy or sad. And I'll confess to you, as I stood there and I knocked those pieces into there for eight hours a day for a buck sixty-five an hour, there were times when I was grumbling and complaining inside. And sometimes my mind was a thousand miles away. But guess what? The wood got chipped and I got paid without any emotional attachment to that job whatsoever. Now, I don't wish that kind of job on anybody. But you know something? That's not the kind of relationship that God wants with his people. You know, where we just kind of go through the motions without any emotions. You know, where we just kind of show up on Sunday and keep a few commandments and toss a few bucks in the plate and try to do a few good deeds. And we don't get emotionally involved with God at all. Friends, God wants to be involved he wants you to be involved with him personally. He, he wants to connect with you on a deep, emotional, love affair level. He wants us to love him. He wants us to need him. He wants us to depend on him. That's why he responds to our faith. Because you can't put your faith in God without being somehow personally involved. You can't put your faith in him without acknowledging that God is loving and merciful and gracious and generous beyond measure. See, it pleases God when you put your faith in him. I mean, you can almost say that God would be smiling in heaven if he heard you say, Father, I'm trusting you now to restore my broken marriage. Father, I'm depending on you to heal me fully and completely. Father, I'm relying on you to provide that job I've been looking for. Father, I, 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 I'm relying on you to help me through this crisis. Father, I am relying on you to bring this special person into my life. That's a long way around saying the same thing, friends. But just take assurance in knowing that if you attempt to live this life of faith, it is pleasing to God. That's my first guarantee. Here's guarantee number two. If you choose to live a life of faith, you will sometimes abandon security to enter parts unknown. Here's where it gets a little bit scary. In verse 8 of our text today, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Let me ask you, be honest, how many of you, if I came up to you and I said, Bobby and Sue, I want you to move. All right, you'll know when you get there. 
What are we going to do out there? You'll find out. When do we go? How about yesterday? Not many of you would be really crazy about that because you're going to ask the first question suited, where? And then Bobby wants to know, am I getting paid for it? Can I take my bike with me? Yeah. And see, we got all of these questions. We're starting to hedging our bets a little bit. Well, we have to go back in the scripture to understand this story. If you've been reading through the scripture, you read this this last week. It's in Genesis chapter 12. When Abraham's name, when Abraham's name was still Abram, God came to him and said, Leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to a land I will show you. And then he gave him this really mammoth promise, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless everybody who happens to bless you. So Abraham, or Abram, gets up and heads off for Canaan, a place he had never seen, not knowing where he was going or what would happen along the way. All he knew was that he was following a path that God had laid out for him. Now, I said this morning in Bible class, that's kind of what happened to Nancy and I. That's how we got to Texarkana, although we did come down here and check you out a little bit first. But still, we had no idea what living in East Texas was like, y'all. <laughs> but we came down by faith that this was God's plan. Now, there are some of you here today whom God is calling to enter parts of unknown. It's kind of like Star Trek, boldly going where no man has ever gone before. All I'm telling you is sometimes, friends, in this walk of faith, when you are, you are called upon to abandon your security and go where you know not, and I can personally guarantee if you live a life of faith, this will happen to you at one time or another. Here's guarantee number three. You will be called upon to prove yourself. Again, Verses 17, 19, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. I think it's really great we have a baptism today. Because what a great example this is. You got that little guy, Cash, and I'm going to imagine you love him dearly. You waited for this little guy. You couldn't wait for this day. In spite of the fact that he gets cranky from time to time, you wouldn't trade him in for a new set of tires or anything. You love him. Now imagine in the midst of that, that God comes and says, Greg, I need to have you sacrifice him on the altar. You'd go, say what? You, and many of you, when you, you read this story and you hear this story, you kind of go, this doesn't make any sense to me. Not at all. Many people have trouble with this story because it seems so out of character for a loving God. Now, maybe you remember this whole story. God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, that he would be a blessing to future generations, and this would all start through his son Isaac. But then, ten chapters after, Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, God says to Abram, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go up to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Did you ever ask yourself why God would ask him to do such a thing? I mean, kill your only son? I mean, I have only one son. I can't even imagine that. I mean, can this be right? 
Now, you all know the end of the story. Abraham didn't have to kill Isaac. But he did take him up the mountain. He did build the altar. He did tie Isaac up. He put Isaac up on the altar. He raised the knife in the air. But then God says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I'm going to ask that question again. How could God do such a thing? How could this story end up in our Bible? Let me just give you three reasons, very quickly. Reason number one, this story, I think, also illustrates what God would later do. He sent his only son into this world to what? To be sacrificed on an altar for our sins. And so this story kind of foreshadows the coming of Jesus. There's reason number two that we sometimes forget, and it just dramatizes for the ancient world that God did not endorse human sacrifice. Now you need to understand this. God was not asking Abraham to do anything that was against the law of the land in that day. Had Abraham sacrificed Isaac, the police would not have come to arrest him. A man had a legal right to kill his son in 2000 B.C. A son was considered to be just another possession, and as a result, many religions practiced child sacrifice. I just want to suggest to you that in this story, the topic was addressed very straightforward. The scene was set, and at that climactic moment, God forbade it to happen. And he kind of did it to dramatize this point. No, I don't want this to happen. Human sacrifice is not an acceptable practice. And I think there's reason number three for this story in the Bible. And it's this, that it shows us that sometimes God will call on us to do things that we don't understand, that just don't make sense. Things maybe sometimes that we really don't want to do. And he does this because he wants us to take our stand. Kind of like Joshua. I don't know where you guys stand, but as for me and my house. He wants to know whose side you are on. He wants to hear you say, God, I will do what you ask me no matter what. Now, I think I could guarantee you that God will probably never ask you to do what he asked Abraham to do, but I can also guarantee you that there will be times if you live a life of faith when you will be asked to take some steps that you don't want to take. There will be times when you will be called upon, if I can put it very bluntly, to put up or shut up, to walk the talk, to prove yourself. There will be times of testing in the walk of faith. But the good news is, now if you're worried about, oh no, I got testing ahead of me. Well, the good news is this, the tests don't last forever. I always get a kick out of it when my grandson, who's a, I think he's like his junior year at UNT, calls when finals are over. You can hear the relief in his voice. <sighs> my last test. Well, guess what? James chapter 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, in other words, when it's over, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Here's guarantee number four. In the life of faith, a guarantee is that you will be called upon to make some sacrifices. 
Look at verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the Pharaoh's daughter, or the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, when we talk about living a life of faith and seeing God do great things in your life, I hope you understand that it will happen. God will do some great things in your life. But I want you to also understand that there will be seasons in your life when you're not going to be on the receiving end, you're going to be on the giving end. You will be the one who will be making sacrifices and perhaps for someone else. In other words, there will be seasons in your life maybe when you're not living in abundance. You'll be living in lack. You'll be waiting for God to provide. And, and he is going to provide, but there may be a season of time when you do without. There will be a time of waiting. But see, it's during those times when you're waiting that it's essential that you remain faithful. There will be times when you think, you know what? I could have it a lot easier than this. I could give up right now and I wouldn't have to sacrifice all of my time and energy and money. I mean, if I wasn't investing so much money in God's work, why I could, oh, maybe with that cash for clunkers program, I could even buy a new car. Or if I wasn't investing so much time in serving other people, I'd, I could spend more time on myself, playing golf or reading a good book. Or if I wasn't pouring my life into pursuing this dream, I could spend more time with my feet up in my recliner and watch television. But see, friend, it's at that moment in time where you have to say, no, I am not going to pursue that. I'm going to pursue other people. I'm going to pursue serving God, even if there is a price to pay at this time. So all I'm saying is that if you pursue the life of faith, you will be called upon at times to make sacrifices. Here's the fifth guarantee. You will see the power of God unfold before your eyes. I think that's amazing. When you expect God to do things, you suddenly see things happen that you would never, ever believe could happen. Verses 29 and 30, By faith the people of Israel walked through the Red Sea. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down flat. All they did was walk around them for seven days. Now, these stories are two well-known Old Testament events, but both of them illustrate for us how God is able to make the impossible happen. He's able to provide a solution when there is no solution in sight. Now, friends, you might be trapped between a mighty sea and an approaching army today. That may be a description of your life. It seems like you have no possible way of escape, but God can provide a way out. There may be what seems to be an impenetrable wall standing between you and the fulfillment of your dreams, and it seems that there's no way to get around those walls, and yet at the right time, time, what can God do? God can either move you around the wall, over the wall, under the wall, or just ride over the wall. Now, I'm going to guess that everybody here today who has been a Christian for more than a short while could probably stand up and tell everybody else a Red Sea story. 
you could all stand up and probably tell us a Walls of Jericho story. A time when everything seemed without hope, and then all of a sudden, God did a miracle. And believe me, friends, when you choose to live a life of faith day after day, God's miracles become a common experience. A lot of people say they've never seen a miracle. And I think part of the reason is they're not looking. They're not paying attention. Part of it, I think, is people don't really expect to see a miracle. They don't expect that miracle because their faith is more in themselves or in this world than it is in the God who makes all things possible. You live a life of faith, friends, and you will see the power of God unfold before your eyes. You will see needs being met at just the exact moment. You will see miracles take place in hopeless situations. You will experience power over sin that you never, ever thought was possible. And you'll enjoy blessings way beyond your wildest dreams. I'm going to tell you, I can guarantee it. And the reason I can guarantee it is because that's exactly what the Bible says. But friends, the life of faith is not for the timid. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for people who want an easy life. Rather, it's for those who want a great life. People who want to accomplish great things for God and for His kingdom and who want to see Him do great things in people's lives around this world. So I'm going to wrap up this entire message by telling you this, friends. If you are willing to set aside your feelings, if you are ready to decide to live in expectancy and begin asking God to do great things in your life, if you're ready to follow through with the actions that are consistent with what you're asking for, if you're ready to take the risk to enter parts unknown, to make a stand, to pay the price of faith, then I can guarantee you that you will experience the power of God as never before. And for this reason, I say to myself and to all of us, walk in faith and more power to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and, fa thanks and praise again for the gift of faith. We know that faith begins with an attitude of expectancy. It's also combined with actions that are consistent with what we're asking you for. And you also tell us the key to building a bigger faith is to hear your word. But Lord, we also need to know that there are some guarantees that come with that faith. Some of them don't sound so good. Some of them sound wonderful. But yet we trust that they come from you and that ultimately they will be good for us. Once more, Lord, we just simply say, help us all to walk in faith and grant us more power in Jesus' name. Amen.